0: morning to each of you. I invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians. This morning, Ephesians chapter 4. I'd like to read two verses there. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Ephesians 4, verse 26 says this, Be ye angry and sin not, Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. I'd like to describe a place for you this morning. If you can imagine the map of Africa. And on the western side of that map, there's a big dent in the continent, right? And in the deep part of that dent is that, West African country of Cameroon, I think that's how you say that. And in that country is a lake called Lake Neos, I think that's how it's called. And um, it's known, it's famous to be for being the deadliest lake in the world. And if you think of uh, Lake The Crater Lake in southwestern Oregon, this is a little bit what that's like. Of course, minus the snow and the cold and all that. It's an extinct volcano, mountaintop sort of lake, and a deep crater in the middle of this extinct volcano, and there's a lake there. Very beautiful place, tropical climate and so on. Lake Neos, roughly one square mile in size, And very, very deep, almost 700 feet deep. And down on the slopes of this mountain is a little village of Neos there on the mountainside. And some of you may remember this, uh, August 22nd, 1986, almost 29 years ago. Something happened in that community that shook the world there was a man from a neighboring village and he began to ride his bicycle toward the little village of Neos. And on the way, he noticed an antelope beside the road that was dead. And in that culture, nothing goes to waste. And so he stopped to pick this antelope up, strapped it to his bicycle and continued on his journey. And as he journeyed, he began to see other dead animals along the road, rats and dogs and and so on. And he began to wonder... What happened? And you know, was there poison? Was there a lightning strike? And when he arrived at some huts, he stopped and, to see if anyone knew what had happened. He didn't want to take a poisoned animal home. And to his amazement and shock, there were people there, but they were all dead too. Eerie. Weird. People had just fell over and died in their huts and in their beds and in their chairs and whatever they, whatever they were doing at the time. He couldn't find a single person alive, and so this obviously scared him so badly that he went home as fast as he could go. Probably what you and I would do. By the time he got back to his village, there were other people stumbling into his village, and people told tales of rumbling sounds and. And, and passing out some people for as long as a day and a half. And waking up to discover everyone's dead around them. Well, officials of the country were called in with a medical team. I think some, some experts from America also went to try to figure out what happened. And uh, the doctors found a catastrophe bigger than they were expecting. Overnight, something had killed nearly 1,800 people. 3,000 cattle and countless of wild animals and birds and even insects. And actually for almost every living creature for miles around this lake was dead. Whatever had killed everything seemed to have disappeared without a trace. What could have caused so many deaths such a short time? There was no evidence of bleeding, no evidence of trauma, no evidence of disease no sign of radiation or chemical or explosion of some kind, no earthquakes, no storms, no poison, no bullet holes. No evidence of suffering. All of the victims, people and animals alike, simply fell over and died. All of them died in the same way. And all the deaths occurred within a 12-mile radius of Lake Neos. Now, Lake Neos had, a, had a, a legend of being a bad lake in which supposedly evil spirits had risen out of it and killed all the people around it. And this, this was a legend, that something that had happened many, many years before and had been passed on by stories through the years. Scientists began to suspect that maybe after all, this lake was a killer somehow because the closer they got to it, the more dead people they found. The village of Neos, about two miles from the lake, down the mountainside, in which 800 people lived there at the time, only six of them survived out of 800 people. Somebody noticed the lake. Normally, uh, clear blue water had then turned to a rusty, muddy, murky red. Scientists began to do tests of the water, of the lake. And right away they noticed that the water was high in carbon dioxide. And they began to check different levels of the lake. As remember, the very deep lake. And at about the 600-foot level, deep in the water, the carbon dioxide content began to become so high that their sampling containers that they were using simply burst. They would send something down there to get a sample, and as on the journey back to the surface, it would burst. And so they had to figure out some special way of accurately getting a sample from deep in the lake. They finally accomplished that, and they were shocked at what they found. They found that at the bottom of the lake, the, it contained, for every five gallons, or, I'm sorry, for every one gallon of water, those five gallons of carbon dioxide. Not a good ratio. And so they came up with a theory of what they think happened. Evidently there was carbon dioxide seeping into the bottom of this lake, possibly from the extinct volcano, nobody knows for sure. And uh, because of the depth of the lake, it was not bubbling to the surface like it normally would on, on most lakes in the world, which by the way is a normal thing. Um, Our ponds and lakes here in the States, um, because of a flow of current or because of the change of the seasons or simply because of the wind, it will eventually stir. The water turns over and and stirs the pond or the lake. But Lake Neos is one uh, was among the most still in the world. It's Protected from the wind, it's a tropical climate so you don't have the changes in temperature from season to season, which would stir the lake. And it's a very, very deep lake. And so this carbon dioxide collected on the bottom of the lake until suddenly there was a big turnover. All this carbon dioxide came to the top at once. And as this carbon dioxide lost its lid of 600 feet of water, it became a gas instead of a liquid. And since carbon dioxide is heavier than air, it's simply spilled over the edge of the lake, down the mountainside, around the surrounding country. And carbon dioxide is odorless, is colorless, it's non-toxic. In fact, you and I breathe it out every time we breathe. But a cloud of carbon dioxide came down the mountain, pushed all the oxygen away, making it impossible to breathe and to survive. And people and animals died where they were. Horrible thing to happen. That's Lake Neos, the deadliest lake in the world. Now, why do I tell you such a gruesome story this morning? What does it have to do with our text? Let's read it again. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Be angry and some not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Today I've told you about the deadliest deadliest stake in the world, and today I want to look at the deadliest emotion in the world, and that, I think, is anger. I don't know if you have a problem with anger or not, and I am glad I did not have a call from Leon or anybody else that says, Bethel, Mennonite Church needs a sermon on anger. So-and-so needs that. I'm not sure why God brought this to me this morning, but He did. He wanted me to share this. Anger. Message entitled, The Danger of Anger. Now, I don't necessarily consider myself to be an angry person. You know, I have lots of problems, but I usually don't blow up in anger and throw things and yell and gnash my teeth, usually. So, does that mean I don't have an anger problem? And I think you would all agree with me, that doesn't necessarily mean I don't have an anger problem. You know, what usually happens to me is this no, I don't blow up very often, but the anger can still be there. And I'm thinking of the bottom of that lake, it's still there, it's still a problem. And stirs around and gives me problems and I keep the lid on it, which probably is better than blowing up. But I keep the lid on it, but eventually it comes out. And when it does, it's not very nice. It's not very good. It can be deadly. And sometimes the people around me don't even really understand what happened. Why did he react that way? Now, if you've ever seen a person that really had a problem with anger, he just blows up. And he's angry and he yells and he throws things. Everybody knows what his problem is. That's pretty clear. But sometimes anger doesn't come out in in an explosion. It comes out in quiet and deadly ways. And those around us can be hurt and they don't even understand what happened. They They were thinking, you know, what was that all about? Anger, I believe, is one of the most dangerous emotions in the world devastates marriages separates parents and children poisons many other relationships it's bad on the job it's bad in the school it's bad in the home the list could go on anger hurts others and it acts like a boomerang to come back at us and you know i can feel that my anger is justified because of how wrong that other person is. Therefore, I'm justified in feeling angry. The guy that cut me off on Interstate 81 the other day, he was in the wrong. Stupid guy, I mean, he's going to cause a wreck. And I'm angry. No, I wouldn't punch him. I wouldn't clock him out. I wouldn't yell at him, but that resentment can still be there. Somehow, because someone has wronged me, I feel justified in hanging on to my anger. It's my right, somehow. Are you like me? <laughs> you know, there it is, that poison, at the bottom of the lake, stirring, dangerous, and eats away at my life and will someday come out and hurt someone. I don't suppose I need to uh, define what anger is, we all know what that is. We've all experienced it. The Bible has a lot to say about anger. In fact, I was amazed at what the Bible has, the the amount of of information and and, um, admonition that the Bible has about this subject as I was studying. You think about angry people in the Bible. Cain was one of those. He was so angry, he killed his brother. Moses was angry a number of times, the, the scripture says. He killed an Egyptian. He broke the tables of stone. He smote the rock and disobeyed God. Moses was angry a number of times. You can think about others. Samson, an angry man. Simeon and Levi, Those are some rough characters. They killed people because they were angry. Balaam beat his donkey in a fit of anger. There was a number of leaders in in Scripture. King Saul, uh, King Ahab, King Uzziah, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Herod. These are all leaders who were angry and did terrible things. King Herod killed the children of Bethlehem in a fit of anger. Haman was an angry man. Jonah became angry. Esau was angry. Peter was angry. He cut the guy's ear off there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's an angry person. The elder brother of the prodigal son became angry. These are people that got angry and bad things happened. So what does our text say about anger? Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 26, we read it twice already. Uh, Be ye angry and sin not. So is this a command to be angry? I don't think it is. But rather we are told not to sin with our anger. That's difficult to do. <laughs> so that's the, one, the first thing I see here in this passage. We're not to sin with our anger. Number two, don't let the sun go down upon our wrath. In other words, we need to take care of this dangerous emotion quickly. And number three, don't give place to the devil. Don't give him an opportunity. You know, if you're like me, we tend to do the opposite of what Scripture is telling us here. We, instead of following this, we tend to sin easily and quickly with our anger. We tend not to admit our anger. We tend to relabel it as, as uh, frustration or something else. And we can put off dealing with this dangerous poison because, well, I'm justified in feeling the way I do, and we relabel it as something else and we can add today's frustration on top of yesterday's and last years and somewhere else in the past and it begins to build remember the the poison at the bottom of the lake there it is stirring down there and because we can be controlled by anger and we put off dealing with it we give satan an opportunity and anger i believe is a tool that satan dearly loves it's like a master key that opens many, many doors in our lives. I think that's why uh, the Scripture is so clear about this thing we call anger of, of needing to repent and, and dealing with it because when we don't Satan has access to many, many areas in our lives. Anger is contagious. If you see a, an angry person lashing out at another what do you feel like? Most of us feel angry right? It's contagious. We can teach the next generation to be controlled by anger by our example. Anger brings reactions. Angry people make others angry. So what causes you to become angry? It could be many things. Things like uh, not getting way or feeling rejected or, or disappointment in life or seeing some kind of injustice. Uh, other things like pride and jealousy or feeling threatened. Someone rejecting something that I hold dear can make me angry. Or just the irritations of life when my patients get all gets all and I become angry. When we see someone being somebody being ungrateful or rude, unkind, or unthoughtful, can make us angry, when life isn't fair Things are unjust or someone is being disrespectful. Those things can make us angry. Somebody's being mean to us. or Somebody's taking advantage of someone. That's something in the past. You know, all of us, I don't care who we are, I think all of us have these little buttons that when they're pushed, does something to us. When you think about anger. And by the way, some people love to find those buttons and push them to see what happens. And I'm not sure, I guess it's entertaining, I suppose. Um, maybe if you have a sibling, maybe you've experienced this. You know, someone loves us to tease, they know where the button is to push. Why do we do that? I guess it makes us feel somehow in control and, and powerful and, and superior to that angry person over there. What, what did Jesus say about someone who offends others? Jesus mentioned a millstone, didn't he? And that makes it the angle button buttons look different. Proverbs says that God hates. Look it up. God hates he that soweth discord among brother. Wow. I think we better leave our grubby little fingers off the angle buttons of others, because. Yes, it's true, they shouldn't be angry. That's very true. But I'm not so innocent when I'm pushing the button. Now, I know what it's like to tiptoe around somebody's anger buttons. Because there's a person that is an explosion waiting to happen. I don't like doing that, but I've had to. But think with me, are there any people in my life who have to tiptoe around my anger buttons? What a challenge. My sensitive issues. One of the things that we're tempted to do when we're angry, and I mentioned this already, is somehow justify my anger. It's somebody else's fault they shouldn't have pushed the button. And if it's somebody else's fault that I'm angry, if that's the way it is in my life, I believe I need to repent. Repent. That's true. They shouldn't be pushing my buttons. But I shouldn't be angry either. And when I'm angry, I don't need anger management classes. I need to repent. Simple as that. Call it what it is sin. We're hurting those around us with what comes from the bottom of the lake my flesh. And blaming others for my choice is simply wrong. I think we need—we might as well understand and get it into our heads that life isn't fair. People are imperfect. This world is full of injustice and rejection and hurt and hard things. And people do things that that push my buttons. To anger. It's just a fact of life and we need to learn to deal with it in a Christ-like way. Deal with our anger. Bring it under control under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. My anger is not somebody else's fault. I have chosen to be offended and, and harbored that anger. Somebody might have pushed the button but that button was connected to my choice. Well, people handle their anger in different ways. Some people just explode like a volcano and, and can even justify those explosions that they get it out, then it's done and life goes on. But you could say that about a bomb or a volcano, couldn't you? And look at the destruction, and you drive people away from you because nobody wants to be in the way of an explosion that is automatically going to be their fault. But not all of us explode in our anger. Many of us, like me, have crockpot anger, anger. It kind of simmers and grows. And sometimes it comes out as a surprise like like Neos. Or it comes out in hard to understand ways, uh, you know, uh, a relationship problem or whatever. You know, we have some choices before us when we're tempted to become angry. Some people blow up or bury it or bear it or belittle it or grow bitter or become in bondage by anger. Or... We can benefit and grow from it, and it's in surrendering this to Christ, this difficult thing, and can grow. What did Jesus say about anger? Turn with me to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, verse twenty-one. Jesus had something to say about anger. Matthew five twenty-one. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And He goes on to, to talk about uh, calling someone a fool. So what did Jesus say about anger? Well, we look at that um, uh, verse 22 there where it says, Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, and we can kind of latch on to that, well, I have a cause to be angry. But what that idea there is without a cause has to do with a selfless cause. And most of the time, I will confess, in my anger, it's not for a selfless cause. It's for a selfish cause. In other words, there's many times, most of the time in my own life, myself, my, my flesh, Feels like it has a right to be angry. And it's not a selfless thing at all. Jesus says that this anger is wrong. This anger is sin. And if I'm angry with my brother, I have broken the sixth commandment, which is thou shalt not kill. And so if I get angry with someone, does that, is that the same thing as killing him? You know, I wouldn't kill anybody. But Jesus said here that anger is like killing someone. That's strong, strong language. I really don't think that I understand very well how serious that anger is. You know, anger we can kind of tend to say it's no big deal. But I think we need to understand how God sees it. Colossians 3 verse 8 says, But now ye put off these... And what's the first thing on Paul's list there in Colossians 3.8? First one is anger. Along with wrath and malice and blasphemy, and the list goes on. Anger, put off anger. Paul told the fathers in Colossians 3, verse 21, not to provoke your children to anger, lest they become discouraged. You know what Paul wrote to Titus about the qualifications for a bishop? One of those things is that he is not to be soon angry. You see, God is serious about this powerful emotion being under control. And not only under control, but surrender. See, It's a little different. Under control you could be you just got the lid clamped down tight. But when, I, when that emotion is surrendered, that's different. It changes who I am and changes what's happening in my heart. Too often I've gritted my teeth. To control my anger and I suppose that's better than exploding, but too often I've put the lid on rather than surrender that anger to Christ and the result, the result is that poison begins to build at the bottom of the lake. Let's turn to James chapter 1 verse 19 and 20. James 1 verses 19 to 20 says, Wherefore, my beloved brother, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. We can't be angry and do God's work. Well, we've thought about how anger affects others. Our anger affects others. How does anger affect us? Well, unresolved anger does many things to us. First of all, it breaks down our relationship with God. It breaks down our fellowship with others. Angry people tend to be lonely and isolated. Anger helps develop a critical spirit within us. An angry person lacks peace and joy. An angry person tends to be pessimistic. He expects the worst thing to happen. And the worse than others. Angry person tends to worry and is suspicious and un- untrusting of others. Anger leaves us feeling empty, and cutting words become a habit. And anger tends to make me want to justify my own sin. Anger, when it becomes a way of life, seems to get results because. You know, you yell and people do things to make sure you're not angry. Seems to get results. And so I've seen it happen and maybe you have too in people's lives where anger becomes a way of life and people live from one explosion to another and it's somebody else's fault. How sad, how... What a waste of life. Anger can and will affect our health. Blood pressure and heart attacks and digestive problems and and ulcers and strokes and depression. Anger is hard on us, even physically. And it can dominate our minds and we become unproductive, unfruitful. Empty, lonely, bitter, sad, and angry about. It's a cycle that's hard to get out of. Now, the Bible tells us that God also has anger. Psalm 7 verse 11. God judges the righteous and is angry with the wicked every day. But God's anger is different than ours. God's anger is always a just reaction to evil. God's wrath is perfect in righteousness. If you can get your mind around that truth, God is perfect in every way. God's anger is never misguided. Yes, God God got angry with the children of Israel. He wanted to wipe them out. Moses stepped up and asked God to reconsider. Moses, or God was even angry with Moses. But even in his anger, God's holy and righteous character is still there. And you and I can't say that. Jesus was angry. Uh, There's only one place in Scripture, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's, that The Bible actually says Jesus was angry. And that is uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. This is when the, uh, He healed someone on the Sabbath day. And, and Jesus uh, is responding to the hard hearts of the, the Jews around Him. Mark 3, verses uh, 4 and 5. And He said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? but they healed their peace. And when he had looked round on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of your hearts, he said unto the man, stretched forth thine hand, and he healed the man. And I believe, if I understand right, that's the only place in Scripture that says Jesus was angry. And I know that the, the, the accounts of Jesus cleansing the temple, driving out the animals, turning over the money changers' tables, we assume Jesus was angry. But Scripture doesn't tell us that he was. Check it out. Uh, Matthew 21, Mark chapter 11, Luke 19, and John chapter 2. Those accounts where Jesus cleansed the temple. Maybe Jesus was angry when He cleansed the temple, but Scripture doesn't say that He was. The Hebrews 4 verse 15 says that Jesus was in all points tempted like us, yet without sin. So we know that Jesus was tempted to be angry. He sharply rebuked the religious leaders of His day. But he never sinned. If he was angry, it was for the right reasons. There was no selfishness or pride in his anger. Jesus' anger had a proper focus, a proper control, a proper purpose, a proper duration, and it had a proper result. Now, if anybody had a reason to be angry, Jesus did think about how he was treated we won't take time to turn to it but first Peter 2 verses 21 to 23 describes some of that look at the injustices that Jesus endured especially the last day or so of his life Pilate was amazed I'm sure Pilate expected angry defensive words accusing those hypocritical wicked Jews for having hearts black with sin it was true Pilate knew that the Jews envied Jesus, and I can imagine him being disgusted with these religious people who wanted him to do their dirty work to kill this man, innocent man. But there's no anger in Jesus' life. Jesus did not die angry. Amazing. Doesn't that put you and I to shame? As we think about all the petty little things that people do to us, our little anger buttons, and how we justify our anger. Now, I know that people have suffered awful, terrible things, misdeeds of others. But even in those kind of situations, by the example of Jesus, and according to God's word, we are to forgive and to put away anger and revenge. But think with me how do we reconcile? Anger being a part of God's character and the fact that Jesus was angry at least on one occasion while on earth and yet you and I are to put away our anger. How do we reconcile all that? Is there such a thing as righteous anger? As we turn back to our text in Ephesians 4, verse 26, Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Is it possible to be angry without sinning? Well, I think first of all, we need to remember that our righteousness, my righteousness is as filthy rags in God's sight. We need to remember that. And so we need to understand that our anger, even though we think it's justified and and proper for the occasion, must be held against God's standard and not ours. Remember, Jesus raised the standard from the Old Testament. Ephesians 4, verses 31 there, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That doesn't, in my mind, leave any room for selfish anger. Most of my anger, I don't know about yours, But most of my anger is selfish and self-promoting and prideful. And we can blame someone else. They made me mad. They pushed my button. And the truth is that that this emotion of anger comes to all of us. At times. But we choose to stay angry. It's a choice that we make. We can nurture it or brood upon it. And we can choose to explode, or we can choose to be like a Lake Neos with the poison of bitterness and unforgiveness and anger deep in our hearts. Let's be careful not to justify our selfish anger. Now I understand there's there's um, there's a properness about being upset at sin and the injustice injustice in life of someone. Understand that can be a proper thing, especially if that person is a helpless victim. But may we do as the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let us be very careful. Most of the time my anger is wrong. Let us not justify wrong anger and give place to the devil. How do I know if my Anger is wrong. First of all, most of the time it is. But I think an honest, open heart before God will go a long way in revealing what's in my heart. God will help those who really desire to be pure before Him. But some questions that would help us, would help me, is this anger I'm experiencing directed toward another person? Are there any selfish motives? Am I contemplating revenge? Am I cherishing my anger and feeling justified in it because the other person's in the wrong? Do I have an unforgiving spirit? Do I have peace in my heart and a clear conscience? Do I have a heart of love? You know, you remember what the the love chapter chapter says, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, love is not easily provoked. Do I have uh, love in my heart? Is there a taste of bitterness and resentment? as I think about the situation? Do I replay it over and over in my mind and come up with just the right things in my mind to say to that person and having them wiggling in the grip of reason and I am the victor? Can I look God right in the eye, as it were, and have God's approval for my heart? Those are tough questions. And most of the time, I will confess them in the wrong as I think about my anger and I need to Repent. Forgive that person. Go on with life. Confess it for what it is. Deal with it. Don't let anger grow. Being angry and sinning not is not something that my human flesh can accomplish. This is something that's done by Christ's power and by surrendering to His Lordship, my life. To be angry and sin not. We must choose by Christ's power and surrendering to Him to lay anger aside and forgive. And to realize that even in these kind of difficult situations, God is trying to teach us something that's good. To Be thankful for that. Folks, life is too short and too important to waste with anger and bitterness. It's not easy to forgive. It's not easy to put anger aside. But with Christ, it can be done. Well, Lake Neos... After that awful event in 1986, scientists began to monitor the carbon dioxide content of the lake, there in the bottom of the lake. And they soon realized it was collecting again. So they came up with an experiment to relieve this carbon dioxide safely. And they inserted a four foot pipe 600 feet straight down, close to the bottom of the lake. They began to pump it with this carbon dioxide rich water into this tube until the carbon dioxide came out of solution, they call it. It became a gas and formed bubbles, just like when you pop the top of your Mountain Dew. And it began to spew out of the pipe. In fact, shot 150 feet in the air. And it worked like a siphon that would continue indefinitely, or at least until the carbon dioxide ran out, without any kind of pumps of any kind. Between 2001 and 2006, the carbon dioxide levels dropped 13%, and they since have installed more of these big tubes and seem to be gaining some ground. And now there's talk of trying to harness this unusual power with some sort of turbines or something. And in the research that I did, evidently these pipes are still spewing water 150 feet in the air and carbon dioxide, pretty weird. And so this bad situation with the deadliest lake in the world has a good side to it. People moving back into the area in spite of the dangers. And by the way, if you think about anger, put the letter D in front of anger, you have danger, right? We are not helpless in the grip of this dangerous emotion. On our own, we are helpless, but in the power of Christ, we can be victors. Christ is like, this is a crude way to and and very inadequate, but Christ is a little bit like, or Christ's power in my life is like the tube in the lake. And that dangerous stuff down there gets released in a way that does no harm and actually can do some good. Forgiveness really can happen. Releasing that guilty person who did me wrong really can happen. Christ is the way. Christ is the tube. Not only can that anger be vented properly without hurting someone, but that emotion can be cleansed and transformed into an energy that can be used in serving the King and His people and his fall for His glory. In closing, may I just encourage us to think about how my anger, your anger affects you. It affects your relationships and affects your fellowship with God. We don't have to hold on to anger and bitterness. There's a freedom and forgiveness. Don't let anger put you on the path of self-destruction. Satan will present opportunities to be angry. In fact, uh, we can imagine a little sign here uh, close to the lake that says, Danger! anger ahead I think that's true for every one of us. Don't listen to the lies of Satan as he presents these opportunities to fall in front of us but to surrender to Christ. You know it's true that Christians do not usually lose their emotions at conversion but those emotions can be purified and surrendered and brought under Christ's control and and, uh, with His grace and power, uh, can, can, God can use our lives for His glory. We're called to put off anger. May God help us, don't be a dangerous lake. I'd like to close in John chapter 4, just a couple of verses. John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> Here's the words of Jesus. John 4 verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, this is uh, the woman at the well, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. Don't be a dangerous lake with a dark secret, but instead be filled with living water springing up until everlasting life, pure, refreshing, and eternal through Christ's power. So a closing song.